Good morning, everyone. The kids are going to the back. I want to invite you to join me in 1 Kings chapter 18. You may be like some members of my family and you see a very long passage in the bulletin and it shuts you down a bit. Rest assured, we're going to take it bit by bit. We're going to work our way through this. But it is a powerful story. And so, kids, let me have your attention for a minute. I want to to give you something to listen for. As we look to this passage, you are going to hear a very dramatic, a very powerful story. And in this story, you're going to hear, maybe through the eyes of your imagination, see a picture of, the Lord our God, and be reminded that He is the one and only true God, and because He is, it's a call for us to, to worship Him with our whole heart. Just listen for what that means. What does it mean to worship the Lord our God with, with your whole heart? And then when you're with your, your parents this afternoon at lunch, I want you to really talk through that, Okay? Now, you might see in the passage that we're going we're gonna to pick up with verse 17, but, but I want to put before us uh, verses 1 and 2. They're not in your bulletin, but they, they lay out what's going to happen the rest of our time today and where we're going to go next week. There we see, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. The drought's going to end. It's going to end in our time next week. Um, But it's going to end later in this chapter. But before it does, the Lord our God is going to make it known to all that He, Yahweh, is the one true God. So, after verse 2, Elijah goes and he, he, he finds Obadiah, another prophet in uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. Obadiah was actually uh, still connected to Ahab, but Obadiah was true to the Lord. He actually had saved some of the prophets. So when Elijah meets with Obadiah, tells Obadiah to tell Ahab, hey, we're, I'm going I'm to meet you. Uh, later, Obadiah is a little nervous about that. He's got a bit of a different personality than Elijah. Elijah assures him, hey, I'm going to show up. Obadiah goes and gets Ahab. I know this is a lot of names. Hang tight. And then they meet up in verse 17. And that's where we pick back up. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. When Ahab, I'm going to read verses 17 through 21 to get us started. When Ahab saw Elijah... Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. 
And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And people did not answer him a word. This is the word of the Lord. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord God, you are revealing yourself to us this morning through your word. And I ask that you would give us the, the blessing and the power that comes through your spirit that we might embrace this revelation and respond. Not merely to it, but to you. Would you do this, we pray. Would you draw us ever closer to Jesus Christ? For it's in his name we ask it. Amen. Wilbur Reese is a, was an author, poet, and he captured in words the average person's view of God. He wrote, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God please. How big is your God? How much is he worth? I'm not asking you to put a dollar figure on his worth. I'm I'm asking you, how big is your awareness of our mighty God? I'm talking in terms of your heart's Affection, does the Lord God Almighty have any relevance to your everyday life? Are you worshiping the Lord our God with your whole heart? Please understand, none of us, not a single one in this room, are worshiping the Lord our God with our whole heart. And so none of these questions are meant to be shame-inducing. I'm asking the question because it's an appropriate question for us to, to reflect upon. And in doing so, to, to ask what is it that we have allowed to be bigger in our hearts? I believe it's actually the question that the text is asking us today. And so the follow-on is, what would it take for the Lord to grow in our hearts, for, for us to, to truly worship Him with our whole heart? We hopefully understand that shame and guilt won't be what it takes to to grow our awareness, our, our worship of the Lord. Uh, so what is it? 
What did it take for the people, or what will we see that it takes for the people in this text? Is it a simple truth statement? The Lord is big, worship Him. As if we could stick a sort of a Stick a simple truth band-aid on this hole in our heart. No, that's not what took place in the text. What we will see throughout this text, no, it's not a simple truth statement, but it's a story. A true, powerful, culture-shaping story about the Lord our God. He revealed Himself to the people and He reveals Himself to us through this word. In the opening verses that we put before you this morning, it sets the scene and then the challenge. So first, the scene. Ahab, whom we were introduced to back in chapter 16, we heard a little bit about him and the evil of his idolatry. Uh, and then we paused to see Elijah's journey to the brook Cherith, to, to Zarephath, and, and now back. But here we see Ahab again, and he ironically calls Elijah the troubler of Israel. Elijah says, no, you've got it wrong. And we're going to settle this matter. Meet me at Carmel with all of the people of the land and with the false prophets, the 450 prophets of Baal, the, the 400 prophets of Asherah. Let me translate this setting for you for just a moment. What Elijah has done is he has given up home field advantage. There's an ancient uh, Egyptian document that refers to Mount Carmel as the mountain of Baal of the promontory. Now, a promontory is a, is a mountain or a, a hill that juts out into a body of water. A Carmel jutted out into the Mediterranean Sea on the western side of, of northern Israel. More importantly, though, is the mountain of Baal. It was Nicknamed this because this was Baal's home field, his home turf. It's where the people worshipped Baal. And Elijah says, hey, I'll meet you there. But did you also hear the numbers? 450 prophets of Baal, one prophet of God. Elijah, it doesn't seem to be a fair fight, and it's not. Just not in the way the numbers might indicate, as we're about to see. Elijah is not concerned in the least. And so he goes on to set the challenge. Now, I'm not talking yet about the challenge that he puts before the prophets of Baal. I'm talking about the challenge that he puts before the people that day, and the challenge that he puts before us. This is the heart of the text. It's where we've got to focus. It's, it's what all of the text is revolving around. This challenge that, that Elijah is putting before us in verse 21. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. 
One of the rules of Scripture interpretation that is particularly helpful in the Old Testament, it's a tool of the Hebrew writer, is we listen for repeats. Sometimes those repeats are, are words. Sometimes those repeats are phrases or ideas. And so we listen for them in this text. And one of the words, phrases, ideas, that you're going to hear repeated in this text is the word I just read, limping. People were not walking firm. They were not walking resolute. They were limping back and forth between two different opinions. They refused to choose. They refused to commit. It's important to notice in that that they hadn't outright rejected the Lord, the Lord. These were people, they were not what we might think of as hardened atheists. They believed in God a little, maybe three dollars worth. They also believed in Baal a little. If you remember, Baal was the, the fertility god the God of rain, who, who caused the, the, the ground to be fertile by bringing the rain that would fuel the crops that the, the people so desperately needed. And so from their perspective, what could it hurt? Let's worship the Lord a little, but let's also hedge our bets. Let's worship Baal and ask him to bring rain. But Elijah gave them and us no such option. Does any of this sound familiar to you? What are the ways that we limp through life, bouncing back and forth, one foot in, one foot out of different opinions? I dare say that most of us in this room are not anti-God. The truth is, most of the people in our community, in our culture, are also not anti-God, and yet we and they can tend to reduce Him to something less. For some of us, it's because what is bigger in our eyes is our own kingdom. We, we tend to reduce the gospel to some get-out-of-hell-free card that we hope to cash in on at some point in the future, but it really bears little impact into our day-to-day lives. We're living for our own personal kingdom instead of understanding the biblical truth that we are under the kingdom of God. We focus on life in my kingdom rather than living under King Jesus. And so... Practically speaking, we reach out to Him when we need a favor. That tends to drive much of our prayer life. But oftentimes, we're distracted and we don't think to reach out. That's some of us. Maybe some of you are like me and what holds us back is fear. That that shows itself in a lot of different forms, but I need to make a confession. There was a season of my life where I engaged in a subconscious yet very real conversation 
And that conversation was this. Jesus, I believe in you, but I don't want to go too far. Because if I go too far, I'm going to become one of those Jesus freaks. And so I'm going I'm to keep you in an in hour-ish time frame on Sunday mornings. And, and then I'm going to go live my life basically for me uh, while still speaking about you from time to time. I, I wouldn't have said it this way, but I wanted $3 worth of God because I knew that if I gave myself to Him too much, I might become one of those people. And I thought feared what they thought about me on one level, but there was something else that was holding me back from being one of those Jesus freaks. I knew if I gave myself over fully, it was going to cost something. There were going to be implications. And I wasn't ready for those implications. In all of that, I was missing out on two fundamental truths. The first was the reality of my need. Jesus is not a genie in the sky. He's the Savior of sinners. Now, I was missing out on the reality of my own personal sin. That's one of the fundamental truths I was missing out on. But the other was His beauty. Jesus is better than anything else that I might create for myself in my own little kingdom. And, and so because I missed out the reality of my need and of the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ, I settled for the warmth of a womb and not a new birth. You're connecting with any of you? You're not alone. You're not alone. Some of us, however, it's not that conscious decision, that subconscious discussion, but rather a matter of indecision. Do you find yourself limping between the Lord and the world? The approval of man, of, of self-centered pleasure, maybe it's pragmatic control-seeking, looking for my own outcomes and calling upon God when it serves those purposes Elijah put the challenge before the people, and he did so directly. But as he did so, there's another one of those repeated phrases, thoughts, or ideas that shows up here in the text, and it's this. Silence. The answer there at the end of verse 21, and the people did not answer him a word. So the story moves to the next phase. It's time for the Lord our God to reveal Himself. And He does so first by exposing the false prophets. So pick back up verses 22 through 29. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood but put no fire to it, and I will, prepare, I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. You call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, He is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. 
Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. The opening of that portion of the the text, Elijah set the rules. Prophets of Baal, you go first. It's your home field. Pick a bull. Prepare it. Place it on the altar, but don't light it. Call upon the name of your no God. See what happens. I mean, after all, he's the God of fertility, the God of rain. A bolt of lightning should be no problem for him. That's the rules. And then there's the action. And there was a lot of it, at least on the part of the false prophets. They began by preparing their offering, and then they started cajoling. They're crying out to, to Baal. Remember those repeated phrases, themes, ideas? They show up in verse 26. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and they limped around the altar that they had made. At that point, Elijah starts smack-talking. Come on, he's, he is the God, isn't he? Keep it up. Maybe he's deep in thought, but he can't do two things at once. Or, or better yet, maybe he's taking a potty break. The text actually goes there. Maybe he's out of town on vacation or, or just taking a nap. Remember our call to worship? Psalm 121. Lord, our God will neither slumber nor sleep. Elijah is exposing the fallacy not only of the false prophets, he's exposing the fallacy of Baal. So they get back at it. And this time they double down on their religious fervor. And we see the folly of it all. They think that activity, that busyness, that volume will draw a response. They're, they're trying to coax Baal into action. What are the ways that we do the same? You ever thought about that? The ways in which we, not out of a heart's devotion, but out of an attempt to manipulate the Lord, immerse ourselves in the busyness of the Christian life, thinking that somehow we will make ourselves more worthy? We have our own Christian versions of all of this, and that does not mean that serving the kingdom through our labor is a bad thing. 
The question is our motivation. We must be aware. We also need to see the darker side here. They start cutting themselves. It says that it was their practice. They're drawing blood in an attempt to seek favor. But this is not the way of the Lord our God. Because only the blood of Jesus will ever serve as an acceptable offering before God. Nothing less. Not blood. Not toil. Elijah is exposing it all. He's exposing the false prophets. He's exposing Baal. And then verse 29 shouts the deafening sound of silence. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. It's time. It's time for the Lord to drive home the point. And so verses 30 through 40, Elijah calls upon the name of the Lord. And Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood, and he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time, and they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Elijah rebuilt the altar, and he did so in the name of the Lord. Elijah had a strong personality. It was in your face, but none of this is about glorifying Elijah. This is about magnifying the name of the Lord and drawing the hearts of the people back to himself. So that then add further proof that this is work of the all-powerful God, he had them douse it with water, not once, not twice, but three times. There was to be no doubt that day that it was the work of God, not the sleight of hand that would bring about this consuming fire. In contrast to the prophets, Elijah doesn't dance. Elijah doesn't coax. 
prays. And this prayer is, is a direct, efficient prayer that God would reveal Himself and that the people would return. And immediately, the consuming fire from heaven came down. It consumed the offering, it consumed the wood, the stone, the dust, and the water. The Lord revealed Himself that day on Mount Carmel, leaving no room for doubt, no room for limping back and forth. God revealed Himself. And revelation always demands a response. That's what we do when we're here together. We, we come under the revelation of God's word and we respond to him in worship. And that's what they did that day. The people on Mount Carmel saw the revelation that was given them and they responded in earnest, heartfelt worship. They fell on their faces and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. There was no more limping and witness power of God and they left their idol worship that was the first response the text tells us that there was another perhaps it's one that makes us feel uncomfortable Elijah called the people to destroy the remnants of their idol worship the false prophets that day were slaughtered in the Kishon Valley it's hard for us to hear. It can be a bit unsettling. But understand that this is not some act of personal vindictiveness so that Elijah can get back at his opponents. This is a fulfillment of the law of God, the, the civil law of God that was appropriate at that time time in the theocratic nation of Israel because you see Deuteronomy 13, 15 told the people to destroy those false prophets that would attempt to steal their hearts away. The false prophets were committing treason, they were committing murder, and they were attempting to steal away eternal souls that would virtue of their apostasy be damned for all eternity to the fires of hell. Do you understand how high the stakes are here? And that give us some understanding of this response. But that does not mean that our application here today is to go kill them all. It's to put to death those things ideas, and idols that reside within our own hearts. On this side of the cross, it's a matter of our hearts and guarding our hearts against all that would steal us away and cause us to limp back and forth. Brothers and sisters, the Lord our God is worthy of our whole heart of our devotion. And so as Elijah has already put it before us, if the Lord is God, follow Him. Wilbur Reese described it as, described this limping back and forth, this looking for a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. He's trying to buy three dollars worth of God. 
We all have a version of that. We just do. Those versions are different. Maybe it's relegating worship to an hour-ish on Sunday mornings. Maybe it's, maybe it's holding back relationally from the body of Christ when the body of Christ leans in. Saying, no, I, I'm going to keep the body at, the distance, at a distance. Maybe it's a factor of how we are trying to establish our own kingdoms and how we steward our money, our time, and our gifting, as Michael addressed last week in the sermon. All of us have a temptation to carve out our little kingdoms, and so what would it take for us here today to see and to embrace and to embody the reality that the Lord God Almighty is the one true God? And what would it look like for us to take off the restraints that hold us back from following Him with our whole hearts. Perhaps it's not only a shift in how we see the Lord, but also in how we understand the terms of our relationship with Him. The two are, are actually linked together intimately. The identity of our God and the covenantal nature of the relationship that we enjoy with Him. What were the prophets of Baal trying to do that day? They were, through their, their fervor, through their activity, trying to secure some outcome from Baal. It's an approach that maybe we know all too well. An approach of transactional control. I'm looking for something, a transaction, and I want to control it by my activity. Many of us do the same, but understand that when we do that with the Lord our God, we are necessarily minimizing Him to something less. And so we need a truer vision not one of transactional control, but one of transcendent grace. What did Elijah do? He called upon the name of the Lord. And as he did, the Lord received the sacrifice that had been offered to him. He received it. He delighted in it. And in so doing, he called his people to continue approaching him in the same way. But understand, that sacrifice, it was not a transaction by which the people could gain favor with the Lord. It was a pointer to the transcendent grace by which the Lord our God bestows favor. And it was fulfilled in another sacrifice on another hill, not of a bull, but of the Son of God. You see, on that hill, it wasn't the false prophets who were killed. It was Jesus who was killed for 
sinners like you and me. He was offered as an atoning sacrifice for idolaters like you and me. Let me be clear. An atoning sacrifice is a sacrifice that is put forward in place of us. On the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God in our place. And again, the Lord received it. The Lord received the sacrifice, and in doing so, He calls us to continue approaching Him through the cross. Not to sacrifice Jesus all over again. His once and for all sacrifice was sufficient, but to approach Him humbly through the access given to us. By Jesus' death on the cross. My fear of being a Jesus freak, it was a matter of reducing the glory of God, the beauty of Jesus and of my own sin, but Jesus didn't reduce my sin. He removed it by taking it on himself. Elijah called on the name of the Lord that day on Mount Carmel, and the Lord responded with fire from heaven. But the New Testament in Romans 10, 13 tells us that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We approach the throne of grace today, not by calling down fire from heaven, but by calling on the name of the Lord. This is not a transaction. It is a matter of of wholehearted worship and devotion. Brothers and sisters, this call to follow the Lord that is put before us in the text and I'm trying to put before us in the sermon, it is not a call to Baal-like religious activity. It's a call to see and respond to the true beauty of Jesus and His offering of Himself for us. This, this is the true And powerful story that we have today. People in that day had a true and powerful story. To point to the Lord our God. This is ours. And it is the story that we get to live out together. And so brothers and sisters, let's throw away the paper sack. Let's cast off fear and restraint. Because the Lord is God. Let's let us worship Him with our whole hearts. Almighty God, we bow before you today to declare what is truth, that you are the maker of heaven and earth. You are the Lord God Almighty, and in Christ Jesus, we are yours. We praise you for that. We ask that you would continue to grow us in Christ-likeness, continue putting to death those, those idols that we chase after and show us, bless us with the truth that it's all a work of your grace. We ask and praise in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.